be seated. Good morning. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 12. That was the third scripture lesson in the bulletin. Or if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Let us uh, pray as we begin. Father in heaven, your word being preached completely and utterly relies upon the power of your spirit, driving your word deep into the hearts of the people, nourishing us and feeding us. I pray that you would be so uh, this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Johnny Erickson Pata, you might have heard that name before, many people have, so people are shaking their heads. She's a quadriplegic uh, Christian woman. Um, if you've never heard of her, I'd recommend looking her up or reading some of her books, but in one of her books on healing, called A Place for Healing, she said this, even though multitudes of devoted, good-hearted Christians pray in great faith, many eyes will stay blind, many babies will die at birth, many cancers will not be eradicated until that once and forever healing of a new body and a new life in Christ's presence. And many paraplegics and quadriplegics like me will never regain the use of legs or arms or hands that don't work. Disabilities, the disabled, are here to stay. Whether that is a physical disability or a neurological disability or cognitive disorder of some sort, they are here to stay. And sadly, we live in a day where not, uh, where not only so many disabled people are rejected by society, either by uh, abortion or treated as less than and not valuable in various ways. It is even far too common for churches to ask families with a child with disabilities to leave the church. On this point, one, right, uh, one writer rightly points out, he says, where churches have asked families affected by autism not to attend because their behavior compromises the performance of the worship service, something is functioning as an idol. Where Christians undervalue others because they do not fit a certain expectation of what a believer will look and sound like, something is functioning as an idol. Most of the time when this happens, it is people with autism due to certain self-stimulatory behaviors that at times may be disruptive. But the point is, you see, what we think about the disabled matters to God. And what we will see in this passage is that our unity, our value, our worth, our equality with one another does not depend on our capabilities, on our charisma, on our intelligence, on our likability, but it depends on the Spirit of God that has united all of us to Christ. We are all members of the one body of Christ. And so big picture is, since all members of the body of Christ are equal and necessary, we must pay special attention to those who can be easily overlooked. For those who may be easily overlooked. Our outline is simple. It looks like this. We will see that we are one in Christ, equal in Christ, yet we are individuals in Christ. 
So let's first draw our attention to the first couple of verses here, verses 12 and 13. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing many issues that the church of Corinth had. Uh, and boy, did they have a lot of issues. They were, they were a mess. They were filled with division, adultery. Uh, their worship was a mess, not regulated according to God's word. They were getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. They were, they were a mess. They were suing one another. Uh, so the apostle was addressing these issues one at a time in the book. And from 1117... To, through 14, Paul is addressing their worship issues and spiritual gifts, and it's within this section that our passage comes to us this morning. And this is written primarily so that the Corinthians may have great unity with one another in Christ, regardless of their social standing or their gifts or anything else. Their unity with one another is located in Christ. And so after discussing how the Spirit apportions spiritual gifts to each other, um, uh, excuse me, to each member of the church, as he sees fit, he moves to discuss the unity that we have, the unity that we have with one another. You see, although we all have different callings, we all have different gifts, we still are all one. We still are all equal because we are all in Christ by faith through the work of the Spirit. So he begins with introducing his analogy that will be carried throughout the text of a physical body. A physical body is made up of parts or members, but all belong to the same body. And as he says in verse 12, and so it is with Christ. But how is this so? How is this so? He explains in verse 13. Look at verse 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body... Jews are Greek, slaves are free. And we all were made to drink of one spirit. And so we notice that Paul here is clearly referring to baptism. That one's easy because he uses the word baptism, which is obvious. Uh, but also the Lord's Supper when he says we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so how should we think about this? This requires us to take a, a step back and review briefly what the scriptures teach on the sacraments. Uh, it's important to recognize how the scriptures often confound or conflate what the sacraments signify with their outward administration. Because the sign and what it signifies, what, in other words, baptism, for example, and what it means, the sign and what it signifies are intimately connected. This is true with any sign, like a stop sign, for example. The stop sign is intimately connected with what it's signifying, which is stop, your vehicle. And because the sign and what it signifies are intimately connected, this is why some Christian traditions uh, wrongly think that the literal waters of baptism, for example, are what washed away sins, regardless of faith in the individual or whatnot. Rather, the sacraments, which are signs, they signify something. And so here we see that baptism signifies our union, our union with Christ. And the Lord's Supper sustains our union with Christ, if indeed we drink by faith. So the sacraments are signs, but they are also seals of what they signify. In other words, for those who have faith, they can be sure that what the sacraments signify is given to them by the Spirit's work, or through the Spirit's work, by faith. 
not by power that is in the water itself or wine itself, but the sacraments are made effectual for salvation by the Spirit and appropriated by faith. And so we see that since the sacraments are signs and seals of our union with Jesus, they also signify our unity with one another. And this is Paul's point here. In baptism, we are admitted into the visible church on earth, and therefore in baptism we are connected with one another as a body. In the supper, we're all nourished together as we sit with one another at the table of the Lord, as the one body of Christ, and drink of one spirit. And so don't think Paul's words here, though, mean that anyone who partakes of the sacraments is truly, automatically saved. We know from Scripture that those uh, that some who are baptized partake of the supper uh, can eventually deny the faith and walk away. Rather, we should believe that anyone who is baptized and partakes of the supper and has true faith can be sure that what the sacraments signify belongs to them. All the promises that the sacraments represent can be yours by faith. The sacraments are tangible mysteries, they've been called, tangible promises of God. And the blessings offered in them are appropriated by faith and only by faith. As one author puts it, it is the Spirit's operation signified in the outward administration of the sacrament that unites us to Christ. And so the Scriptures surely at times will conflate the what the sign, the sign and what it signifies. This is why Peter can say, baptism saves you. Peter says that. And Paul says in Romans 6, in baptism we've been buried with Christ into death. This is why we refer to the bread and body, or the bread and wine as the body and blood of Christ. The signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper then are intimately connected with what they signify. But you see, not in such a way that the sign and what it signifies is completely and utterly indistinguishable, and vice versa. You see, we must confound the two for there to be any beauty or weight in the sacraments. And this is what Paul is doing here in verse 13. Through baptism, we've been united to Christ as we drink of one body of the Spirit, nourishing ourselves as the community of the excuse me, of the community of the saints. And so here is the point. We are one in Christ as believers, and the sacraments are beautiful signs and seals of that truth. And Paul uses them in his argument here to prove his point that we are indeed the one body of Christ. We have union with Christ, and so we have unity with one another. Because when Jesus died, we died. When he was raised, we were raised by the Spirit. Have you ever thought, man, I, I would never be friends with so-and-so if they weren't a church member? Have you ever thought that? There's truth in that. God, God brings together an odd mixture of people, doesn't he? Brings together a very odd group of people. Our unity isn't in our personalities. Our unity isn't in our economic status. Our unity isn't in our vocations. Our unity isn't in our cultural background. Our unity is not found in our tastes or our hobbies. 
Our unity is that we have been baptized into one body by the Spirit, and we drink of one Spirit. Our unity is that we are in Christ. The only real place on earth where different types of people, completely unrelated in many ways, often in significant ways, can be genuinely one-minded and can be one family. And that place is the church. And so in light of this unity that we have in Jesus, what are we to do? First, if you only care for and get to know people in the church who you would be drawn to outside of the church, something is off. God does not want you in the church only interacting with others who have your same personality type or are in your age bracket or are in your tax bracket or have similar backgrounds. We often are like the disciples who didn't like Jesus bothering with the children or didn't like him talking to the lady at the well. You are one with those, you see, who you wouldn't naturally like necessarily or are naturally drawn to. You're one with them, and so love them. Second, bear with one another. Listen to what the Apostle says in Ephesians 4. He says this very thing. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he continues. One God and Father. And third, we need to stop thinking that the church is like a country club. That's not what, the church, that's not what church membership is. When you are a member of a church, you are formally recognized as someone who is in Christ, along with the rest of the body and therefore is one with the rest of the body, since all Christians are united to Christ as our head. We are not just a random group of people who happen to be a part of the same club, and that we know each other, and, uh, but have no real relation to one another, no real responsibility towards one another. It's like a golf club. Oh, that's just Jim. I see him all the time. It's Jimmy. And, you know. It's not like a golf club. We are a real family because we drink of the same Spirit. And God has brought us together and made us brothers and sisters in Jesus. So care for and get to know people in the church who you wouldn't necessarily be drawn to. Bear with one another, for it can be sometimes hard to love. We all can be sometimes hard to love. And do not think church membership is a country club. And so through the Spirit's work, we are members of the one body of Christ. And this also means that we are equal in Christ. We are equals. Look at verse 14 through 26. Here we will see that although we are differently gifted, we're differently blessed, differently skilled, uh, etc., we are still equals. Paul begins by pointing out the foolishness of thinking that simply because you are not like someone else, that doesn't mean you're not a part of the body. All right, verse 15 and 16, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Right, many struggle with the feeling of belonging. Right? Paul says, you belong. Just because you're different doesn't mean you don't belong. We're all given 
different paths, different goals, different callings. But also the Apostle wants us to see that our differences don't at all take away from our equality and our unity with one another. Marriage is a good example of that, of course. In a marriage, both the husband and wife are called to different roles, but both are completely equal. And so it is in the body of Christ. Different roles, yet equal. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Furthermore, Paul moves to discuss the foolishness of thinking, we don't all need each other. We all need each other. The eye, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No part of the body can tell another part that they don't need them. Verse 22 through 26, Paul makes this clearer by pointing out that even the seemingly weak parts of the body are necessary. Verse 22. Second, the less honorable parts of the body we cover up and therefore treat with great honor. He concludes, but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Why? That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, no matter, no matter your role in the body, no matter your purpose, no matter your talents or skills or gifts, you are to be cared for in the same way as anyone else. The weaker members should be even treated with greater honor. That's what Paul's saying. So that there's no division in the body. Every body part ma- member, uh, matters. Rather. Every body part matters. Regardless of beauty or purpose, you know, your big toe, at least in my opinion, your big toe's not pretty. Your big toe's not pretty. Sorry to break it to you. But it's very important. It's very, very important to your body. You know, your balance would be completely thrown off if you didn't have a big toe. Maybe there's someone in here without a big toe, and they would be able to tell you. It's difficult not having a big toe. There are other parts of the body that we don't even know the function of, and their purpose may not be clear or evident to us, but they serve an important purpose nonetheless because God placed that member there, even if we don't know why. And he knows what he's doing. And so it is with the body of Christ. And so we are called to care for one another, to pray for one another, especially those worthy of greater honor, the weaker members. The first will be last and the last will be first. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 20. Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You may be saying, amen, 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 and that's good, I would hope so, but we surely do have our blind spots, don't we? And so it's important for us to see that it is easy to overlook certain people. This is especially true of the disabled. They may be at times easy to overlook. Sometimes we don't know how to engage them. We may feel awkward, not know what to say, 
And so we disengage. One of my sons is on the spectrum, and there is a police officer at my son's school who knows that when he says good morning to him, he is unlikely, my son is unlikely to say anything back or even acknowledge. And the police officer, though, every single morning, without fail, will look him in the face and say good morning and seek to engage. And that is how, the starting point at least, how we should treat the disabled, the autistic, and the like. It's not all you can do, surely, but it's a starting point. Treat them as people, as they are, with respect, with worth, with value. But don't necessarily expect anything in return. The police officer doesn't, but he does it anyway. And sometimes he does get something in return. And if you don't get something in return, then, that doesn't mean to stop, at least in the case of those with neurological disabilities. Purposefully engage the disabled. Go out of your way, inside the church and out. Disabled people are often avoided and abandoned in our society. They are largely an unreached people group, surprisingly. Invite them to church. Share the gospel with them. If they are inside your church, then they are your brother and sister in the Lord, who is just as valuable as anyone else, and as Paul says, are even worthy of greater honor. On the one hand, we must remember that the non-disabled are also weak, but his power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, the disabled in our churches help us humbly to remember our own weakness. Dr. Bedis is a scholar and a um, works at a Christian school in Oviedo, Florida. And he has written on disability as a daughter with severe disabilities. Um, uh, she's in a wheelchair her whole life and is nonverbal. Uh, they must do everything for her. Uh, food and uh, everything else. Literally everything. She's in her 40s now and they're in their 60s. And they're a beautiful picture of, of love. He says this in his book on disability. He says, We must come to see ourselves as weak and broken and to be reminded of that reality through the presence of more visibly weak and broken members of the, bodies of, of the body of Christ among us. You see, their weakness reminds us of our weakness, and that His power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. For when, we are, when He is strong, when we are weak, then He is strong. So why does God allow his people to suffer with disabilities? Well, in part, the answer is this, to remind all of us of our weakness, and so to humble us and to teach us how to be true servants. And so that is one way, surely, there is, there is more, there is certainly countless ways, but at least that is one reason that the body of Christ needs disabled persons. And so, brothers and sisters, we are one in Christ, equal in Christ, since our unity is found in the Spirit's work of uniting us to the Lord Jesus, nothing else. It's not found in anything else, our charisma or our skills. And so now we will see that although we are all one, we are also individuals in Christ. 
We are still individuals in Christ. And it is here, verse 27, let's draw our attention there, that we are reminded that we are one, but in such a way that gives weight to our individuality, you could say. We are not one in such a way that does away with who God made us to be as individuals. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, you yourself are a particular member of this body. Although your arm is a part of the body, it can still be distinguished from other parts. It's still an arm and not a leg. And so it is with the body of Christ. In our day, we may have noticed that the East can be characterized by communalism, and now the Western world can be characterized by individualism. And while one may be more harmful than the other at times, both of these are imbalances at the worst. Communalism, at least at its worst, gives no weight to the individual. Your particular talents uh, and interests don't really matter. Individualism, at its worst, gives no weight to the community, where each individual uses their own talents and gifts, which is good, but they use it for the sake of themselves, with no consideration for the community. And you see, Scripture cuts right through this. It cuts right through these two ditches, and the Apostle does so masterfully with the body analogy in this text. You see, you are an individual. You have been given gifts that others have not been given. And those gifts, those talents, those callings, those blessings in your life, you yourself have a particular personality that matters. Your talents or callings matter. All those things matter. But why did God give you those gifts, those callings, vocation, your personality, etc.? So that you can be a blessing to others around you, especially the church. And so we're called to use our individuality, our gifts, our skills, our callings, our talents, for the sake of other members, not for the sake of personal, selfish gain. And so, brothers and sisters, we must view one another as equals and as important as as important as ourselves, regardless of gifts, regardless of talents, regardless of abilities or anything of that kind. If you have never felt like you belonged anywhere, if you have never felt like you really fit in, I promise you, you fit in here, in the church. You belong here, because God says so. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, autistic or neurotypical, disabled or non-disabled, sick or not sick, wealthy or poor, all were made to drink of one spirit. So may we live in light of Jesus' prayer in the garden that we read earlier. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So every member in this body matters to God. Do they matter to you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. 
And I pray that you would grow us in unity with one another, in true harmony with one another. Uh, Grow us in faith and love for your Son, and therefore, a deeper love for our neighbor. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.